2: We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on Earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
1: Well, hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer, and it is December 13th, 2023. And this is our 374th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind the scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, I have a special on the road show from the LA Chef Conference, which took place on Monday, October 30th in Los Angeles. And I participated, signing copies of my new book, Chefwise, and I will share more details in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my peer tip. Then later, I have two interviews with two wonderful industry people, one who is a chef and culinary producer, and the other who covers the culinary industry. And I have two speed rounds and my solo dining experience. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to embrace a nickname. Yes, you know that endearing name that your friends or family or colleagues call you for whatever reason, whether it came from a memorable experience, funny situation, or epic moment, but it's something that stuck. However it came about, let it be. Nicknames are special and fun. As they tell a story about you and your life without explanation. They are simply a part of your identity that makes you, you, whether you share the backstory or not. Oftentimes, they can honor a loved one or represent your personality or brand, but whatever the case, be proud as your nickname is yours, and that's all that matters. That's my tip today. Okay, so as I mentioned, today's show is all about the LA Chef Conference, which is a premier industry conference on the West Coast. And this year it took place on Monday, October 30th at the LA Trade Tech's Culinary Arts Pathway. If you want to go back to my archives on episode 368, not that long ago on October 11th, I had on two guests as a preview of the conference, and they were... Brad Metzger, the founder of Brad Metzger Restaurant Solutions and the founder and producer of the LA Chef Conference, and Sherry Yard, who is an extraordinary chef, and her current company is Bakery by the Yard, based in Los Angeles. So this is my first year attending the LA Chef Conference. I was really excited to be there and a part of it. It was a full day of programming. They had breakfast in the morning and this amazing lunch and snacks throughout the day and a cocktail hour at the end. So the food and drinks were flowing and the program was amazing. They actually had three tracks, I would say, going at the same time. So you had to pick and choose your own adventure, which seminars you wanted to Partake in. So one of them, hosted by Open Table, which was called Scaling Successfully Diverse Pathways to Growth. And that was with Ellen Bennett as the moderator, Josea Citrin, Suzanne Goyne, who is in my new book, Chefwise, and Lawrence Longo. I went to that one. It was great. Um, I also went to a talk called The Evolution of Food Criticism. And that was with Ruth Reichel, Bill Addison, Kushfu Shaw and Leslie Sutter, all people I know through my work in PR, and it was a great conversation, and there were sustainable summit talks going on. It was a really great day of programming, and it seemed that everyone in the LA food scene was there and a part of this, and it was nice to see so many familiar faces. And my part was Book signer. I signed copies of my new book, Chefwise Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden, which came out in the spring. It was a real honor to be a part of the conference. Big thank you to Now Serving and especially to owner Ken Conception and his team for organizing the book signing at the event and bringing many copies of my book for me to sign. So if you're looking for a signed copy of Chef Wise, go to Now Serving's website, which is nowservingla.com, and you can get your copy there. Now, my interview is coming up. I spoke with two really great people that I met for the first time. The first is Courtney Storer, chef and culinary producer of The Bear, which is streaming on Hulu, the very popular The Bear. Everyone in industry has been talking about this show and how it really portrays the kitchen life and industry so well. And Courtney is a huge part of that as culinary producer of the show. Um, her brother is Christopher Store, and he's the creator of the series, which is her connection to it. And she has more than 15 years of experience in restaurants and As the culinary producer, she has been responsible for the food that is presented in each of its scenes, as well as for the culinary skills of the cast and getting the writers and the cast and crew acclimated to the culinary world that this series takes part in. Um, I've really enjoyed watching and two seasons out now. And Courtney has also worked at High Profile kitchens such as Verjus in Paris and Johnny and Vinny's in LA. And she has a, a newsletter called Coco's Kitchen. And she took part in a panel discussion called Yes Chef, Culinary Obsession and the Rise of Food TV. And this was moderated by Jordan Okun and her other panelists were Naisha Arrington, chef and TV personality, and Phil Rosenthal, creator and executive producer of Somebody Feed Phil. So they had a really great conversation talking about food and TV. So I attended that, and then I spoke with Courtney. You will be hearing about her life and her career and the bear. So stay tuned for our conversation. And then following, I speak with Matthew Kang. He is the lead editor of Eater LA. He has covered dining, restaurants, food culture, and Nightlife in Los Angeles since 2008. His work has been featured in Angelino Magazine and Taste Cooking. He is the host of K-Town, a YouTube show covering Korean American food in America, and previously he was a commercial bank analyst and received a business degree from the University of Southern California. So, those are the two interviews coming up. First, I speak with Courtney or Coco, which is her nickname. And then I speak with Matthew. And that interview is a, a little longer. So I hope you enjoy. And I'll come back and share my solo dining experience. So here you go. Okay, so hello, Courtney, Coco, Store. <laughs> hello. Nice to meet you. I mean, I feel... Do most people call you Coco? We just met, yeah, so I don't want to... I don't care. Yeah, Coco, Courtney, whatever. All of the above. Well, it's so nice to meet you yeah. here in sunny L.A. We're at the L.A. Chef Conference. You just did an amazing panel. You want to talk a little about that being in TV and, yes, chef. Any takeaways from your conversation?
3: I mean, I just think there's a lot of parallels um, with the television world and the restaurant world. Um, you know, talking with Naisha and Phil, these are two people that I've always looked up to and um, thought were not only brilliant in both of their fields, but to see how they've managed to do all of the food television and all that comes along with it has been really, really amazing. I'm also very proud of them and see them as people that, like, I respect and admire. And it's crazy that LA allows us to have access to each other, which is really neat. Um, I think, as we all kind of talked about, you know, making food for television is a dream. It's incredible. But it also takes a lot of um, research and an incredible team and a lot of people who are are willing to kind of understand the world to make it, you know, real to the to the people that are watching it and the people that the shows are actually about. Yeah, amazing.
1: So your show is The Bear, mm-hmm. which... Has now had two seasons, which I've watched. I binged watch pretty much. So, what brought you uh, to work on that with your brother?
3: Well, I think, Chris. Um had been you know writing this this script many many years ago so I knew that it would hopefully become what it has uh you know I was rooting for him that it would be either a show or a movie um, and I think as things started to pick up momentum, Um, He had brought on Maddie Matheson and kind of allowed Maddie and I to kind of take the reins on the culinary aspect of the show. And it just happened really, really fast. We didn't know what to expect after season one. We were just hoping to make it as good as we could and um, make it as authentic and believable. And we're also nervous because food television is very hard to do. But I really trusted the team. Um, And I think we all kind of had that trust for each other to, like, try and make the show as good as possible. Well.
1: You've created an incredible show. I think the response from the industry has really uh, taken taken to the show the the realism of it. And so, your background you've worked on the line, you've worked in
3: restaurants. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, I got into restaurants when I was fifteen in Chicago. Um, And always worked front of house jobs, whether it was like hosting, then working up to a server, bartender, managing, whatever a restaurant needed from me, I would do. I I really enjoyed hospitality from a very young age. I was just worried that I couldn't support myself financially. Um, And it was difficult, you know, like when you're a server, you make more money than I knew that the kitchen was going to make. But really my heart was curious about how to be a chef. And I wanted to learn how to make the incredible desserts and learn how to make the incredible steaks and fish and all these things. I had a real curiosity about food, um, but just was worried about, you know, uh, supporting myself and started, you know, at big corporations like UPS and Whole Foods. And then on the side worked, um, whether it be on the weekends or, you know, Some nights I'd work at a restaurant and I had someone just give me really invaluable advice to pursue uh, what I loved and try to make it work at all costs, you know, never turn back. And that's kind of what I did. I I had a regular job and went to culinary school at night. And the minute I was in culinary school, the first class, I was like, this is significant and this matters and I want to do this. Um, And so I just committed to it. I moved to Paris out of culinary school and, took a lot of risks there just not knowing the language and jumping into a kitchen and I was way in over my head and and was really green as a cook um but didn't give up and stayed with it as much as I could and moved back to LA to visit Chris and was going to move back to Chicago and he said why don't you try out Los Angeles and see you know what potential opportunities there are here in food because there's a lot of restaurants and great chefs coming up and I met Chef Ludo Lefebvre and then met John and Vinny and, and worked my way up the ranks uh, at this restaurant called Animal and then began as the head chef of John and Vinny's in L.A. and helped them grow their restaurant. We built a couple of restaurants together and then left to become a private chef and caterer. And uh, as that business grew, I had the space and time to take on the bear. So organically happened, but never would have predicted it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like my career... If- like yeah, never would have predicted it. And I I was thinking back to visiting LA, I don't know how many years ago, must have been over a dozen plus, where I went to Animal for the first time and it was incredible. And yeah, I've been to John of Vinny's like I've been, I mean, you've worked at really awesome places and the fact that you can use those skills and what you learn to apply now to TV is is pretty amazing. What would you say is like your favorite part of working on a TV production?
3: I think the team is just so incredible. I look forward to working with all of them. Everyone has a very unique perspective. And to be able to collaborate creatively that way is really special. It does feel like a restaurant because you have everybody with different ideas and strengths and and how they want to see things or what they want to bring to the show and how they want to collaborate, that it really is like a team at the end of the day. So... I'm most excited about that—to to trust each other to make something beautiful, and then have people receive it really well is a really incredible thing. So we just hope to maintain that.
1: And then, what's the most challenging part of working with your brother,
3: <laughs> wow. or the
1: best part?
3: Honestly, I love working with him. I'm classic little sister where I'm like, I will literally work with you in any way, shape, or form. Um, He's very good at his job, so it's really fun to watch him work um, because I've always understood his industry peripherally. I I never have got to be a part of it to actually see how incredible he is. Um, On set and directing and the clarity that he has for his vision is, like, really amazing. Um, So I enjoy that. I also just—it's fun to be adults um, in this way and work together. It's just fun. It's super rare, and I— Um, really um, enjoy all the moments we get to have together, especially because the show is so much a part of his heart and, And it's cool to see. Yeah, well,
1: I lived in Chicago for a few years before New York and I worked in restaurants. I was a server at Charlie Trotter's at the high end of things. So I certainly can relate to a lot on the show beyond everything else I now do working in the industry. But um, I have this new book out called Chef Wise and it's on chef advice. So I want to know what's your top chef advice?
3: Um, I would say that I... you know, you have to be okay with being bad for a while before you can get good. Um, and that vulnerability deters a lot of people from sticking with cooking. It doesn't always come at once. I'm still learning things every single day from all the different jobs that I do, from mistakes that I make, from for things I might underprepare for or over prepare for some things. I think it takes a little bit of rigor and passion to stick with it until it all starts to connect. At first, you're going to feel a little bit uh, like clumsy on your feet with cooking. But if you stick with it, it really does start to connect in your brain. Um, And don't be afraid of making mistakes because every chef you've ever worked with or for has made mistakes. Um, No one is perfect in cooking. So you have to know that it's okay to make a mistake as long as you show up to fix it, Uh, I think is my best advice to really, it's okay to kind of, slowly learn just give it give it your all while you're learning
1: fantastic
3: do you want to do a quick
1: speed round before we do lunch sure. okay yeah, I'm hungry i know i know okay it's so quick okay i'm gonna name a couple of things and you get to pick your preference such as chocolate or vanilla okay okay no. eat in or eat out
3: Ooh, both i love them i love them both
1: indoor dining or alfresco dining alfresco wine beer cocktail mocktail or champagne mocktail tasting menu or a la carte a la carte small plates or large plates large plates communal table or chef's counter
3: chef's counter tipping or all-inclusive charge Ooh, that's complicated um both (laughs) you should tip and (laughs) tipping is important but also it streamlines the process the other way fabulous okay a few more uh, an omelet or
1: uh, poached eggs. Poached. <laughs> cooking for the cast of the bear or having them cook for you.
3: Me cooking for them. Cheesecake or dessert? Or cheese plate or dessert? <laughs> like cheese- or cheesecake. <laughs> All three cheesecake, cheese
1: plate, and dessert. This last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Los Angeles? Manhattan. That's the game. You're fabulous. Congratulations <laughs> on the bear. I look forward to season three, hopefully, if that's coming out. And just kudos to you and the whole team. Just and so wonderful to meet you.
3: Thank you, Sherry. Thank you.
1: Well, hello. I'm here with Matthew Kang, the editor of Eater LA. We are in sunny Los Angeles for the LA Chef Conference. Hi, how are you? Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Um, So how long have you been with Eater?
4: Uh, I'm coming up on 10 years as a full-timer. I contributed for almost three years before that. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, since 2011, I started writing there.
1: And what were you doing before?
4: Uh, I had a, a weird, you know, after I graduated college, I was actually in banking. I was a credit analyst at a private bank. And uh, just doing boring, super, super boring computer work and um, made not a lot of money, but enough for a 22 year old to eat out and go to restaurants. And, you know, after growing up in L.A. and going to school here, I was like, I can afford to eat at places that I've only read about, you know, that only were in the L.A. Times food section. You know, so I did that, uh, bounced around. I opened an artisanal ice cream shop called Scoops. Oh, wow. And I ran that from 2010 to 2019. Uh, and then in 2014, kind of skipping around, I, I got the opportunity, my former editor, Kat O'Dell.
1: Sure, I know Kat. Uh,
4: yeah, who uh, whom I love and is wonderful. She said, I'm going to go to New York and do some video stuff with the Eater. Do you want to take my job? And became a reality you know this food writing thing I always thought of as kind of a hobby something you do as a freelancer I started out as a food blogger um, back in the day and and got to know a lot of food writers through that but yeah I mean Eater since then I mean Eater started out as a basically the TMZ of food it was a blog bullshit just like you know cranking stuff out fun you know irreverent um, not really journalism in in the early 2010s I, I must confess uh, but I think it developed a lot of legitimacy and authority over time um, I think I've been very blessed that the company has more or less grown uh, and has really become a real authority in the restaurant space you know and I think it's, it's it's been an incredible journey
1: I started doing PR. Over 20 years ago, and I met Ben and Lockhart when they started Eater and have been following along and reading it probably daily <laughs> since. I would say, though, it, it became pretty quickly a must-read for someone, at least a publicist, who's, who's representing restaurants. And um, the coverage has always been, I mean, it's changed over the years, but it's always been, I think, relevant and, like, um, important.
4: Yeah, I mean, Lockhart always told me that the goal was to be the page six of food because everybody loves page six. Yeah. And, and he said this to Angelino who didn't read the post and didn't really know what that meant. But I knew what Team Z was. And I think I understand the concept of a, a rag, a publication that you must, is the first thing you look at, you know, and it's going to be the place where, you know, you find out about something first. It may not be the most comprehensive or the most, you know, in-depth, the most thoughtful but it's the first one. Yeah. And I think there's value in that. It That was the training that I got that first wins. You know, one of the former dot-com editors, um, Raphael Bryan, who was like, he was like, be first, first wins. And and that was always a sensibility for me. And that was fine with me because I, I'm not a trained journalist. You know, I didn't go to journalism school. Uh, you know, I studied business at USC. And the idea of doing this as like a, this sort of like journalism like is
1: not natural to me i'm not a trained podcast host (laughs) i think a lot of us kind of fall into what we do and you kind of learn on the job and figure it out right
4: I've i've been lucky in that like eater has been very patient has been a publication where i've had to grow and i still have a lot of growing to do and learning um i'm not you know an amazing editor i'm not an amazing copy editor um I, what I really enjoy is <laughs> thinking about L.A., the L.A. food scene, the restaurants here, the players, the people. And I think for me growing up in L.A., of course, like the sensibility of covering mom and pop restaurants and in the small indie restaurants. Um, that's really where my passion was, you know, to highlight and feature places that don't have PR, that don't have uh, anything written about them. You know, and I think that comes from the sort of school of Jonathan Gold. That's what yeah. made Jonathan Gold is that he um, was able to sort of uncover or discover places. We don't even like to use that terminology anymore because there's a very colonial, you know, perspective. But at the end of the day, if we can shine lights on uh, underserved neighborhoods and areas and chefs and people that are super talented then um, that I see as an incredible privilege and it's like the, the thing that makes makes me really happy and and the fact that eater has encouraged that has grown into that it's not just about like sleek you know chef uh you know big budget restaurants those are also part of our coverage now and we we do i think we do better than a job than anybody to write about those places and to feature them and to talk about what's cool about the newest you know the newest evan funky restaurant or whatever but um i think it comes as a balance to like the way that normal people eat the way that people can afford to eat on a regular basis
1: so how would you say your coverage has changed over the years, since you've been covering Los Angeles for Eater, and did you introduce like a new column or a new theme? I mean, you guys have always been known for your maps, and I feel you've developed different style maps, and the maps are so useful as a Consumer. Yeah,
4: I think I think it's interesting. The you know, Eater started out as a blog. I think Eater started out as the kind of publication that was snappy and quick, two, three hundred words, uh, what's going on in the neighborhood. It had sort of had this obsessive quality to it, right? And especially as coming from New York, right? A very crazy food scene where stuff opens and closes and there's drama and there's gossip. Like that was the the ethos you know and we definitely fed into that here in LA we used to have comment sections with like anonymous comments hundreds of comments we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people chiming in I essentially started out as an eater commenter that was like my first involvement interaction with the site and then eventually became a contributor and then I became an associate editor and that's kind of like a running joke you know I didn't start out as like this, like i wasn't like hired to to really right. do this but eater now is very much what i believe to be a much more thoughtful journalistically sound and it's the kind of publication that has wants to tout its integrity when i write something i have editors i have my own staff edit my stuff and then we have multiple rounds of people looking at it thoughtful voices to consider you know the veracity of things you know the sort of uh, perspective the diversity of voices um so that when we do report on stuff it is as accurate or as reflective of what's happening in the world as you know the la times or the new york times or whatever like i don't see a distinction now yeah you know and i think that it's really annoying that a lot of the legacy publications kind of look down on other publications because oh we're not going to link out to them we're not going to give them the credit of like first writing about these places I almost don't have time for that mentality. Like Eater is now, we, I cannot believe that our team of right currently three full-timers I was about can produce to ask you. <laughs> the amount of work that we do and the amount of reporting that we do. And yet, we still get a lot of people saying, you know, cover us enough or you haven't been here yet, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I have a limitation to like my body, yeah. the amount of miles that my car can drive, <laughs> you know, and the budget that we have, it's, it, we, in, in, In light of all those constraints, we try to do the best possible to mix original reporting, you know, high quality, like, first looks, openings, you know, those kinds of things that people want to know about, or closures, and service content, you know, maps, where to get the best burgers, where to get the best this. Like, you have to balance those things, because I think people engage with food differently, you know, depending on the purpose.
1: True. What are you most excited about these days in Los Angeles?
4: I... um, I don't know. Like, I, I think LA's restaurant scene is still very much reeling from the strikes. The writers' guild right, strikes yeah. and the, the actors' guild strikes are absolutely have been uh, detrimental to the restaurant scene. A lot of restaurants have closed. It's really, really sad to see um, so many restaurants struggling. And even though today, you know, pretty much everyone, almost everyone in the LA food scene is at this event which is absolutely incredible I'm stunned um it's it's been a tough sled for probably the last eight months in LA restaurants yeah and in light of that I think I, I went to a meal last week that was delightful uh so refreshing and substantial in like a kind of spiritual way. Uh it's Baru or Padu in Korean. Um I've been part of Chronicling Paru since it first opened. Uh Eater was one of the first publications to write about it. And then every publication wrote about it. So there was no sense of like taking credit or whatever. But it was great to go and eat there with um Lucas Peterson who writes for the Times food section now, but he's a good friend of mine and he wrote a, a feature, the, one of the longest first features on Padu uh, back in ooh, 2015, 2016, can't remember 2015. And they closed the restaurant. Five years later, they reopened the restaurant. It's a tasting menu, and it is such an incredible development from what it used to be, which is this very like Noma inspired fermented plates that are like ten bucks. And you're eating this food. There's like 18 ingredients. And you're like, there's no way this is $10. All this stuff was fermented. It's very high quality ingredients. This restaurant should be three times the price. So now they opened a tasting menu restaurant in six courses. It's $110. Very attainable. You know, top level service. Beautiful, nice ambiance. But the coolest part about it is that it expresses... Chef Kwong and and his wife Mina, they're sort of, their Buddhist worldview, you know, and I think I'm not Buddhist. I don't really, I don't know much about Buddhism, but the fact that they express that and put that into the food and you taste that. And that's really interesting to me. Like, I think that's really exciting. LA needs a restaurant like that, a modern Korean restaurant that New York has a million of, you know, we don't have that in LA. All of the Korean restaurants in LA are 10, you know they're kind of mom and pop like old school so to have something like that executed really well is really exciting
1: well it's fit on my list and i think it's even higher on the list now i'm gonna try to make it this trip and if not this trip another time no i've i've known i've wanted to go the other version the old version
4: was a truly bizarre flash in a pan absolutely unrealistic restaurant it was Totally got, unsustainable. Got like
1: accolades, though, I remember. Totally got yeah. accolades.
4: But you, everybody that knew there was like, you have to go now because it's not going to last. It was two guys cooking all of the food. You know, they're open five or six days a week. They're charging 10 to $15 for these plates that are extremely elaborate and, frankly, junky strip mall, you know, in East Hollywood. And that was... You just knew that was not going to work for anybody. So so this restaurant yeah. is kind of the opposite. Like, Quang the chef, has gotten married. He has a kid now. And it's like... Right. This is like a grown-up version of that, you know? And I think that it's... There's definitely a discussion about whether or not it's the same. Like, if it hits the same way, I think a lot of the fans of the original Padu are going to be like,
0: Well,
4: you know, it's a lot more expensive. But, you know life goes on. We're in a post-pandemic period now, and I think we have to appreciate all of this cool stuff as it comes along.
1: Well, I look forward to checking it out. You said something that made me want to ask you, how important is it to be first?
4: That's interesting. I mean, I think it's not always that you're first. Uh, I think that Eater LA in particular, I, I think I'm very pleased to say that we are seen as the publication that does publish first we like to do things first we like to have exclusives it's not required would
1: you not cover something if it came out in another publication does that affect your coverage if you're not first or it depends on the story it's
4: very foolish I mean at the end of the day what I'm realizing is publications have their readers and they have their audience and they want to serve their audience what they want right and so if you're the you know such and such a publication and you, you're all about features and long form, you know, maybe like something like taste, right? My, my buddy, Matt Rodbert is the uh,
1: editor there. And he's awesome. He's I know. Great. I've um, known Matt since. Um, yeah, I've
4: been hanging out with him all day today. I'm like, you didn't even tell me you're
1: in town. Since Metro Mix. <laughs> I don't even know if you know. I don't
4: even know what that is. I, I
1: vaguely know what that is. Go up to Matt and say, Sherry says she knows you from yeah. Metro Mix. And he'll be like, yes, she does. <laughs> I,
4: have I have not been around as long and I respect that. But what I'm trying to say is that like, you have your audience, You have the publication has its perspective, and you hopefully want to give the audience what it expects from you. And now I think we've established a sort of precedent that Eater is the, the place that is going to write about a place first. And that's helped us in a lot of ways. And sometimes people don't want to give us an exclusive or whatever. And I don't really care. Like, we'll still write about restaurants when, you know, another publication's covered it. I'm definitely going to be less excited about it. It's just human nature, yeah. you know. Like, where if I talk to a chef or a restaurant tour and they're like, hey, I have this cool thing coming up. Like, I want to, you know, you guys will be the first ones to show off the space and the food and the menu and all these details. Like... Who doesn't want, like, what journalist on yeah. the planet doesn't want that kind of privilege? And and I feel blessed that, you know, thanks to, like, our, my former colleague Farley Elliott and, and myself and Kathy and Mona, Kathy Chaplin and Mona Holmes, our whole team, uh, and even our photographer, frankly, uh, the five of us really over the past half a decade made Eater, like, essential reading in that
1: way. Yeah, you know? no, you, I mean as i live in new york so i don't follow la as closely as i do new york but you do an incredible job i think it says a lot too that you've been with the the organization for a long time and that because you've been covering the la restaurant scene you've seen the changes you know what people are talking about
4: yeah i used to i remember i used to when i would talk to kind of like old school uh LA Times writers um you know former editors or uh, even Jonathan Gold you know I definitely think there was a sense of like who the hell are you like and what do you think you know what business do you have being here and I have to say I kind of agree with that I don't know if I had if I deserved a place here or like covering the food scene in Los Angeles I do know that I grew up here I've been going to restaurants my entire life my parents were passionate about going to restaurants of all stripes and you know i have the knowledge and the experience of food that i have and since i started in 2010 really going into this i've i've traveled the world uh i've been to a lot of really great restaurants high and low all around the world and i think that food is one of the things where you need a little bit of you need a decent starting place you know and i think that that passion and that Um, curiosity should propel you. And so now we're at this point where Eater is and where I am, I am very blessed and happy and I want to continue to be, you know, hungry and curious and um, I don't want to really want to stop, you know? And I think what's great about LA as a city is that it doesn't have an end to the amount of stories and the people like even today I'm at this and I'm like, I feel Amazed that there are people that I haven't met yet or restaurants that I haven't been to or even heard of. And now I'm like, I got to go and I got to feature them and write about them and show off this little pocket or this little cute mom-and-pop place. Like, it's great. Like, that's what I love about being in L.A., yeah. especially because um, there are yeah. d- an unlimited number of opportunities. I think what's different about New York from what I perceive as an Angelino, is that there's very much this, like, big or like New York restaurant thing. And then there's like a Brooklyn thing. And then kind of there's other pockets around, but it's sort of like, there's this magnetism, you know, to Manhattan and like the big restaurants there and the celebrity chefs maybe. And I think in LA, because there's no middle of it, there's a downtown, but it's not really the middle of LA. There's no middle. There's just nodes, yeah. you know? So there's a little less centrality. That's just what I think of well, the New difference York of the two is, cities. Well, Manhattan
1: know? alone is, what, 20 different neighborhoods, you know? And you But right. you could just, let's talk about Tribeca, or let's talk about Midtown, or let's... You could divide it up that way, but it is pretty vast, and Manhattan is still, like, the, the center, I guess you'd say, even though, as we were talking before this, uh, no, no, tons of friends of mine and food writers and industry people live in brooklyn I'm and sure brooklyn's uh, has a strong dining scene as well yeah
4: absolutely um, and i've had great food in brooklyn
1: so what were your takeaways today we're almost towards the end of the day was there anything that really stood out for you and have been attending this in the past because this no. is my first
4: yeah this is actually my first okay. um i think this is definitely the biggest scope of the conference that they've done
1: yeah
4: uh in the past it was at a movie theater like an indie movie theater in westwood to have it at this location this is la trade tech and actually a buddy of mine has been here and it's it's, it's an astounding culinary school i mean it is a standalone building in the middle of la trade tech which is certainly not a school that's known outside of oh, so you know crazy. la yeah
1: i wasn't familiar with it but if you now, look at the it's facility a really i mean it, great
4: it's campus. stunning i mean there's Upstairs, huge kitchen, state of the art. So, we're meeting here, and I'm amazed by the sort of beautiful facility. Um, and it's so, and how conducive it is to this kind of event. I was definitely very skeptical in the past um, about who cares, like who wants to be at events like this. And I understand that a lot of people here are industry, you know, industry writers, media, PR chefs. I don't know how authors. many, like, sorry. <laughs> authors. Yes. Yeah, writers. No. Yes. You know, uh, I, but
1: I, I wear a few hats, but, but yes, yeah, so yeah I it, know it's a mix. And yeah. and it is largely LA, California. There are some people like me who flew in for it.
4: So. Absolutely. And I think that there's, um, it's an interesting, idea because it's a combination of it's it's for people that want to learn about food and engage with chefs and restaurants and have a deeper understanding like i the panel i just went to was on um you know parents and how people can raise children in, in the restaurant industry oh and, you
1: were at that one because yeah. i was at the one with uh bill addison and the
4: yeah the, the food media one yeah. is like it's funny like i don't need to go to that like that's like too that's like close yeah. to home like i know i literally know like work with leslie Suter. she's amazing i i've known bill since he was with eater and i still you know we chat regularly uh you know and then ruth i've i've met her before and i've chatted uh i've been reading ruth since you know back in the day and read her books and everything but but i think that was like okay cool it was great i'm sure it was great. oh my god you guys were hooting and hollering through the walls and (laughs) our our room did not have as many people you know but what was great was that we had a nice that our panel had a nice discussion about all the challenges in the restaurant industry that uh, involve, you know, raising a family and finding balance and work and life. And, you know, I think those are great questions. Um, What it will be interesting is how this conference develops and whether it can draw more kind of like ordinary, passionate diners. You know, I think the eater reader would be very interested in this. We actually did an article uh, early on about what to expect that something like this was a very brief thing and, and actually was very well read. And so I think next year we might go a little bit harder. You know, if this is an annual event, then it will be something that we can try to partner with. I know Brad Metzger definitely wants us to, uh, yeah. the, the organizer is, he's very, he's always been asking. Yeah. And I think for me, it was like just experiencing it first and seeing the people here and seeing a very, very high level of involvement with the LA restaurant community is very encouraging. Well,
1: awesome. Well, so great to meet you, and before we get back to the end of this conference, would you like to play my speed round? Sure. <laughs> what this is, is I name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. So. Oh,
4: okay. Can I right. do both?
1: There are no rules to my game. Okay, <laughs> okay great. Um, okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out?
4: I mean, definitely eat out. Not even a question. <laughs> Come on. In- I do like cooking, though.
1: Okay, yes. okay. Indoor dining or alfresco dining?
0: Ooh,
4: I'm going to say indoor. I mean, even though L.A. is beautiful weather, we don't have a lot of great alfresco dining spaces. Yeah. And, like, the sidewalk thing is not my vibe unless you're in Paris.
1: Which is like, why? Why doesn't L.A. have amazing sidewalk? It, I mean, you know? it's I mean,
4: better. It's getting <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah. I think it's just, you're spoiled. We are spoiled here
1: yeah as as we're sitting outside in the weather it's phenomenal like this is
4: like (laughs) i wish it was this exact weather 365 days yeah
1: me too me too it's perfect weather today um okay um wine beer cocktail mocktail or champagne
4: isn't champagne a wine
1: it's my game, I mean, <laughs> and you can answer however you want.
4: Definitely. I start out with... I like And to no start one out, likes
1: the word mocktail, but I still say it. I mean, I'm out, yeah, a mocktail is fine. <laughs> I
4: don't have a problem with the title of mocktail. Uh, definitely not drinking a mocktail. I I have a progression of every good meal. I think I will start out with champagne, because I do love champagne. I will have a cocktail, and then I'll have two glasses of wine. Very, very spread out, uh, and I usually don't finish because I cannot drink that much. And then I usually, Either espresso, a DJ Steve, or a Diet Coke.
1: I've learned so much about <laughs> you need. The,
4: what? No, because you need that. Like, yeah. you need something at the end of the meal that's going to help you digest. Yeah. You okay, know? like Perfecto. you could do yellow chartreuse, that which is wonderful, but I mean, sometimes you don't want more so. booze. And
1: you were saying, I not to differentiate between wine and and champagne, and yet you have a little differentiation in <laughs> your <laughs> answer. So okay. Um, okay. That's true. Um, (laughs) Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates?
4: (laughs) My my staff always accuses me because I always complain about portion sizes. I definitely must say large
1: plates. (laughs) (laughs) How about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
4: How about just no tipping but, like, build it into your prices you know, if we lived in Korea or Japan, but that being said, I understand we're here. tipping fine.
1: Okay. Courage bagels or Layla? Which oh,
4: I mean, it's no question. Courage is the original. Layla is the copycat.
1: I haven't been to Layla yet. I've been to Courage twice. But you know, I'm going to try to hit it, Layla this trip, I'm going to tell
4: you something here for the record. Yes. Layla has a crazy story. There's this bakery next to Layla called Giant Isaac. Mm-hmm. It's
0: literally next
4: door. And Giant Isaac does bagels. But then Layla opened, and they serve bagels. That oh raises the question how did that happen?
1: Oh, well, similar. I recently went in New York to a very popular new place called Pop Up Bagels. I mm-hmm. don't know if you've heard about it. And lying down the block we had a gorgeous day I waited it's like you get your bagels and it's like schmears you kind of just dip but they opened next to there was a bagel shop next door too like kind of same situation no so so Giant
4: Isaac was the original place right and um I without going into too much there was clearly some dispute that happened between Giant Isaac and the proprietor of Layla and Layla is, by the way, named after, I think, Giant Isaac's younger sister. Okay. But they are not owned or operated in the same way. So
1: Okay. I'll, well, I, I don't know. Like, I, I haven't wanna... tried Layla myself, <laughs> but I've heard it's good bagels. They're um, good. They're good. And, They're totally good. But, and I'm a yeah. fan of Courage. Um, courage is
4: far better. I love Courage
1: bagels. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But
4: it's not my favorite bagel in LA.
1: What's your favorite bagel? Sam's? Someone just told me about Sam's. No. <laughs> Uh, I don't even know if I know of any other bagels. Sure. I'm trying to remember the
4: name. It's actually down the street from Courage and it's just like a it's like a very good version of like a New York bagel because like okay. Courage to me is not a New York. It's, it's, yeah. New York, it's not a New York.
1: Bagel. No, it's New York. No, it's not. And I no. and New York has amazing bagels and I don't I mean bagels you can have great bagels lots of different places yes. but New York is known for having great bagels yes. and LA not as much but Courage is amazing. LA has
4: great bagels.
1: Okay. Great very bagels. Good bagels. What about a, um Three
4: more, Justa or Jelina? Justa. Jelina is a more annoying version of Justa, and, and, and Justa <laughs> is the most annoying restaurant in
1: the world. Oh, I'm a fan. I'm gonna, yeah, I love I, it. I always, I always try to go there every trip.
4: Well, every everybody wishes in the world that a they were rich enough to be able to afford Justa and have Justa next door to them. That would be literally the dream. If I was a billionaire, yeah. I would either replicate them next to my house or just move into the building next door to JUSA because it is a perfect everyday deli, you know, grab and go counter prepared salad. I love their cured fish. Their pastries are amazing. It's just a show of an experience. They do the number thing, but it's poorly done. You don't know where to order. Last time I went, I
1: went at an off hour, like three o'clock a weekday. Got a little pastry coffee, sat outside, did some work. Um, anyways, okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert, for sure. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Los Angeles? How is that even a question? I mean, where- because it's my game. I'll tell you this.
4: <laughs> New York is definitely my second favorite city in the world. After. After Los Angeles, because I live here and I love okay. here, and I never, and left, then, I've never lived anywhere else.
1: And then, if you had to pick a borough, and I'm also not being fair because I'm not asking you Staten Island, Queens, and and the Bronx, but it's my game. Yeah. So between Manhattan and Brooklyn,
4: I gotta say Manhattan. I mean, okay. I I spend most of my time in Manhattan. Um, I I like the Lower East Side. I love East Village. I love Chinatown. Um, I like Lower Manhattan. I don't know if that's a concept to love.
1: It's all it's all lovable and that's Uh, the game.
4: Upper East Side, not my vibe. Yeah, I
1: don't get over there as often. Upper West
4: Side's all right, but it's just I feel like you're so far from stuff by the time you're up there. Uh, not to be mean to, like, entire No, you're not. I
1: live <laughs> I live by Columbus Circle, which is the lower, upper, west side. I actually side, like that area. And it's...
4: I stayed there last time. My friend a- lives in, like... Oh, nice. And I actually, re- I went to, like, a pizzeria, re- Balud, or was that... Yeah, yeah, he's still... V-
1: yeah Balud, he has a few spots yeah. right there in like the center. And it's very, it's easy to get around, you're close to the park. I liked it. It's a nice neighborhood. I
4: liked it. That's a good place to live. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I tend to go downtown across, you know, I don't really go, yeah. you know, from where I am. I don't go up that much, even though it's a very nice neighborhood, Upper West, yeah. but it's not as much of a culinary destination. That's
4: fine. I live in, I don't live in a I mean, I live in Torrance, so it's like 20 miles south of downtown. Like, it's a suburb. Like where? Yeah, no, <laughs> um, yeah, you don't okay. know, but like, it's like, it would be like living in, you know, Fort Lee, you know, like, it's not, it. not anywhere near. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. That's the game. There you go. It was great. so fun talking to yeah, you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Um, good luck with everything. I look forward to your all your future coverage. Thank you. And just keep doing the amazing work you do.
4: Yeah, no, thank you, too. Thanks for chatting. And um, I have to get a copy of your book.
1: Yes, I already sign it? No, it's or? signing's at 6 o'clock.
2: 6 o'clock. So I'm
1: getting my fingers ready.
2: Great. Very yeah. Very excited. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
1: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and this is my special on-the-road show from the LA Chef Conference, which is a premier industry conference that took place on the West Coast on Monday, October 30th at the LA Trade Tech's Culinary Arts Pathway. Congratulations to Brad Metzger and his entire team for an outstanding conference. It was a really Super well-organized, fulfilling day of conversations and delicious eats and drinks. And I was very happy to be there and a part of it. And that this event brought so many people on the West Coast together and also the East Coast like me. So it was, it was really great to be there. And um, thank you. Now it's time for my Silly Dining Experience. This week, it's at Lulu. Here's the rundown. The location. 10899 Wilshire Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. It's located in an open-air courtyard of the Hammer Museum in Westwood, Los Angeles. The concept, shared celebration of good food that is good for the planet. Lulu is a restaurant committed to prioritizing sustainability through local regenerative food and design. The chef and owner, legendary chef and food activist, and Chef Wise contributor, Alice Waters of the iconic Chez Panisse in Berkeley, and acclaimed chef and writer and cookbook author David Tanis, who writes a weekly City Kitchen column for the food section of the New York Times. Why'd I go? Well, it's a newish place. I heard great things. Alice is my book. I'm a fan. So, of course, I had to go. My experience. So, it's a little hard to find. You park in the garage in the museum, and then you go up to the second floor. I guess once you know where you're going, it's easy, but just be a little tricky first timers but i did find it i had a reservation for one uh i got there a little early i waited in the outdoor area they had some fun swingy chairs i was seated at a kind of a banquette in this large spacious patio a lovely courtyard um they were doing a party inside and so most of the restaurant is outside and it was very nice i had a, a lovely server her name was andrea and we talked a little bit about the industry um, i did not get to see alice or david i They were not there that evening, but I had a really good time. So what did I get? Well, I got baked Sonoma goat cheese with mixed lettuce salad, fried Szechuan-style prawns with tamarind vinaigrette, and chocolate pavé with creme chantilly and apple quince crumble. Yes, I had two desserts because Andrea was very kind and sent one out to me because I couldn't decide. So that was fantastic. My take? Loved it all. I mean, the goat cheese is... uh, from a special farm that I think Alice has been sourcing from since the beginning of her days as a chef. Um, it was delicious. And uh, the prawns were excellent. They're kind of sweet and savory, a little spicy, yummy. And I love the desserts, the chocolate, and I love a great crumble. You could eat that for breakfast every day. Okay, the ambiance. So it's a large patio, open air, low lighting, with some cool hanging lanterns, lots of greenery. Um, As I said, there was an indoor space as well, and a kind of casual but chic outdoor setting. Perfect for a date night or dinner with friends. Interesting tidbit the Hammer Museum, which is affiliated with the University of California, is an art museum and cultural center known for its artist centric and progressive array of exhibitions and public. Programs. It was founded in 1990 by the entrepreneur-industrialist Armand Hammer to house his personal art collection. Personal fun fact. So I've been to Chez Panisse once before solo. I've also met Alice at an event with Heritage Radio Network, the Slow Foods 25th anniversary. This was back in 2014. And she did a talk with Slow Foods founder Carlo Petrini at Roberta's in Bushwick, where our studio is. So, the cost of the meal was $60 plus 18% service charge. Would I go back? Yes, website lulu.restaurant.ig. it's Instagram, at lulu restaurant LA. So, there you go. That's the show. I hope you enjoyed listening. And many thanks to Courtney Storer, Matthew Kang, Brad Metzger, the entire team behind LA Chef Conference. It was a thrill to be a part of it, to sign books of Chefwise there. And I hope to be back in the future to find out more. You can go to LAchefconference.com and you can follow Brad at Metzger underscore Brad and at BMRS food jobs and hashtag LA Chef Con. You can find more about Courtney at CourtneyStore.substack.com and at Courtney underscore store and at the Bear FX. And Matthew Kang, his website is la.eater.com, and he's at Matatoye and at Eater underscore LA. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at all industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My websites are bayerpublicrelations.com, sherrybayer.com and all the industry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritage radio network.org. We're also on iTunes Stitcher and Spotify. Check out my new book, Chef Wise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden, now available wherever books are sold. Many thanks to my engineer, Armin. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. That's a wrap for 2023. What an epic year. I appreciate all of you out there, all of my listeners, guests, supporters. Without you, there would be no all in the industry. So thank you. Stay tuned for another On the Road show when I get back in 2024 It will be on Latin America's 50 Best Restaurants, which took place in Rio. And then I have a bunch of new interviews coming up. So till then, have a wonderful holiday season. Happy New Year. And thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network.